Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, aviation enthusiasts, and welcome to this. It is another episode of Pilot Episodes. So, we're going to kick off by introducing the first of our four ship, the guy with a schedule so secretive, he's more secretive than an actual mason. It's Duncan. How are you, mates? I'm good, thanks. I wondered where that was going, but yeah, I am great. Very and, good. And what we what have we been been doing? I was going to say this week, but it's not, is it? It's been like three weeks since we sat down last. Blimey, three weeks. I didn't know I'd have to think that far back. I've been uh, well. I think. Did, <clears throat> did we speak last time? Had we had I gone to the states last time? You had gone to the states. You'd been to Saudi Arabia. In fact, over the course of this podcast, you've been to Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, and the United States. Yeah, I've been, you look so confused, Dunk, as to where around. you've been in I the last confused. three weeks. I've got no idea where I've been. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know where he is now, JB. Okay, <laughs> have you been flying, uh, Dunk? What have you been flying? Well, I did a bit of Tucano stuff. Uh, now, just to, to interject here, the other boys were told specifically by JB to shut up. <laughs> I do remember work, saying that. They were straight in. <laughs> Uh, I've been up to Linton, so I've been doing uh, some Tucano flying up at Linton on Ooze. Uh, and uh, and then this week, I went to Valley, up to Four Squadron at RAF Valley, flying Hawk T2 uh, to do some flying with them. So, um, and I just got back this afternoon, so flew back in Tucano this afternoon, uh, and here I am now. So it's been uh, it's been a really good week. Excellent. And of course, second in our fourship is the shiniest bit of brass that we have, Godders. <laughs> Oh, he's been working on that one. Um, hello. Actually, I have done, I have done some flying in the last have couple of weeks. Have you? Um, no yeah, which is very, very strange for someone in a desk job. Um, remember I said I was going up to that qualified flying instructor graduation at RAF Cranwell? Yes. Which was a we, belter of a day no, and an evening. Were you, were Mason, you, we didn't miss you at all. Were you talking <laughs> there? Was I? Uh, you weren't speaking there, were you? Yeah, yeah. I was, so I was speaking at, a, uh, at the dinner. For the graduating QFIs. Yeah. Um, and uh, I did forget to mention the podcast. They all knew about it anyway. Excellent. But um, during the day, uh, I went to go and visit um, our mate, Finn Monaghan, who's the Commandant CFS. And he'd sorted me out a ride in the Prefect, which is <sighs> basically a souped-up version of a tutor, a training aeroplane. And it was – the boys are laughing at me now. It was flipping brilliant. It's all – electronic cockpit and this thing that climbed like a bat out of hell um we'll uh to maybe talk a bit yeah did you black out 
<laughs> as soon as fact, we had the painting episodes, yeah. As soon as he put the well with the wheels up, I almost fell out the door. I uh, I did the Basil Forty faint. Um, no, it went up to ten thousand feet in about a minute. What? It was ridiculous. Um, I, I'd be really excited if I was going through flying training in the that next few has years. To be that... a lie. <laughs> right, maybe it's ten minutes, but it was about a billion times better than a uh, than a tutor it was an amazing aeroplane it was brilliant i loved it excellent and of course last he might be a master in the sky but he's certainly not a master of skype now uh, before you tell me exactly <laughs> big tone how um <laughs> how you've come to end up with two not one but two two, two skype accounts to do a, a single podcast why don't, why don't you tell me if you've been flying because i imagine this is actually quite nice weather for you you can actually get in the air and do things so three weeks ago, I got a lot of grief because it was a bit soggy, the runway, and it was all about Spitfast can't fly when it's wet. The next day, I think I got six trips. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm probably... very tired and had to go to bed. <laughs> I was very tired. <laughs> Yesterday, I got seven trips and I was exceptionally tired. But uh, no, seven been, trips, uh, really? Doing... Yeah, I've wow. probably flown, uh, I'm guessing, about 30 trips since uh since we last spoke and uh and it's been lovely but today uh, i got a couple of trips in and then it got a bit uh got a bit windy so we we uh, scrubbed for the afternoon uh, and then i spent most of that sorting out my skype accounts and god knows what i've done but i have got two it is working it amazes me you know so like my wife is an anaesthetist and being an anaesthetist she has to put like a cable um sorry like pipes into people and need needles and that sort of stuff and i think why is it that you can't operate the power hose and I think about you, and I think you used to fly one of the most technically advanced aircraft in the world, and you've ended up with two Skype accounts. And it's meant to be intuitive. Well, I, it's because this is on my iPhone, and I'm staying in a different place. I'm at my parents' house. Well, that doesn't matter, you <laughs> He's in his parents' house. Right. I'm, I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. I phone, have you, you get a different email when you're down at your parents. Exactly. The, the, the touchscreen doesn't work, does it? He's <laughs> I... all confused because he's sleeping in his old bed with his teddy. <laughs> Quite incredible. Yeah. Damn it, that didn't go well for me either. <laughs> uh, uh, right, so... Spitfires. Well, hey, JB, quickly, um, I did hear, actually, that, that Parco... For one reason or another, when you were trying to do some Spitfire, Spitfire flying the other week, you ended up in a competitor's van advertising their Spitfire flights driving up the uh, across the country. Um, what was that all about? So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I, one of the two seaters broke, so they borrowed Air Legends two seater. I flew it down to Goodwood, flew there. So we utterly helped those boys out, which was great. It was really cool. Uh, and then there was a minor oil leak. So the only way I could get home, because I had my CAA medical the next day, was to borrow the Boltby Wag. Ah. So you advertised the Boltby Spitfire Academy Well, no, because flying I, the Aero I, Legends. I drove like an idiot, so nobody would have wanted to fly with them. Now, <laughs> this is... This is a good. Yeah, did you have their number and how's my driving on the back? Yeah, constantly hooting my horn the whole way home. <laughs> you, you drive like an idiot anyway. Do you remember when we were we went to Odium when Parker and I were on the Reds? 
and he got in the hire car and he wheel span out the car park and OC Ops was coming the other way and shouted at him out of his car window, you there, stop that! And then Parky <laughs> just immediately slowed down and went, sorry, sir. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then drove off with normal speed. <laughs> uh, no, yeah. This, yeah, about... moving on, JB. Hang on, Parky. Not quite yet. Uh, now, this is a whole new world to me. I just assumed that the people flying Spitfires were basically the Battle of Britain. I, I know you've mentioned the people that you that you fly with. How many operations are there up and down the country doing this sort of stuff? Uh, well, there's uh, probably four or five, actually, of us now. But my sales pitch would be we fly from Headcorn, and that is... Eight minutes to the White Cliffs of Dover. So, absolutely brilliant. And it's grass strip. So, uh, yeah, but there's, there's a few. Uh, well, uh. Why, don't we move, why don't we move this on? Because today's a rather special anniversary. Who would like to introduce today's, uh, today's anniversary first? Go on, well, Don. I don't mind. I'll go for it. It's, uh, today is the 75th anniversary uh, of Op Chastise, the, uh, the Dam Busters raid. So um, it's actually not too far off. It's, probably, it's another... They took off, I think it was um, at uh, 9.33 in the evening. So 21.33, I think, was the first takeoff time. And so we are... Well, we're a couple of hours away from that. But, um, but that was when they first rumbled off down the runway at, uh, at Scampton to go over to, uh, to go off on this uh, legendary raid. So Guy Gibson and Barnes Wallace were stood in front of the guys probably 75 years ago to this minute doing a bit of briefing. Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine what would be involved in, in, that, in, in that brief. Do you... I mean, obviously you know quite a lot about the history. Do, do you know... what? How like how they planned it? Did they get a chance to attack other, like other dams and drop these weapons, you know, over the sea? How 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 did they plan for it? Well, I mean, they they practiced on Lady Bower, so you know the dams up Derbyshire way, which were yeah similar. So and uh, you know that's where the I think all of us probably have had uh, the privilege of watching the Lank fly down Lady Bower, albeit we've sat in a fighter on the wing, but it is just magical and uh you know if they were doing it at night i mean it just beggars belief you know was it 60 foot the boys had to get down to at night it quite incredible yeah yeah well we i mean i, I was uh, again sort of uh we've all been down lady bower in in different airplanes but uh for the 70th so five years ago uh, the weather luckily held out for us and we got the lancaster airborne and i was in the bomb aimers position so uh where johnny johnson um, would have been as uh, one of the the bomb aimers. Uh, he's one of the last survivors of the dams uh, the dams raids. I think there's only two of them left now. And um, I sat in the bomb aimers position, going down Derwent uh, Water and um, uh, I think it's Ibrook as well, the other reservoir yeah. um, that 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 we went down. And uh, it's just astounding. And we we did it at 250 feet. Um, and even that looks it looks pretty low. Sixty feet at night is just jaw dropping how those guys did that because it's not just a straight run down the lake. It's really bendy lefty right to 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 get in there and, and get themselves in a position to be able to release uh the weapon to, to, to attack the dam. Yeah. Now that was one of the things I was gonna ask actually. Who flies Lancasters nowadays? Because obviously you boys are fight uh, um are all single seat lads. 
you've flown Spitfires. Do they get guys who are multi-engined, or do, do they just go back into Typhoon squadrons and take people out? Yeah, yeah. So um, we have uh, no, we have the multi-engine guys. So on on the Battle of Britain Memorial flight, um, where we have the Lancaster. You know, there's only two lanks, as you said. There's only two lanks flying in the world. One of them's over in Canada, um, at, at the um, Warplane Muse- Museum over there, and the other one is at Coningsby uh, with the Battle of Britain Memorial Flight. And um, so the the way that the crews are chosen uh, are that naturally we take specialists in their field. So for the single seat fighters, we take fighter pilots from whichever fighter aircraft um is is applicable uh, in the day um and uh, and for the the bomber guys we choose multi-engine pilots uh and uh, again they're selected to to come and do that job and then they go through a, a full workup in learning to fly those um uh, vintage types um which are, of course are very very different to the multi-engine types that they fly today but the ethos is still the same. So it's a very sort of crew environment uh, in, in how they operate. The aeroplane is different with so many uh, moving parts and so many different things that need to be incorporated. It needs that those extra people uh, to operate it. And so, uh, so yeah, we, we have multi-engine guys that, that fly those aircraft. Nice. So, so do you think a modern-day Hercules is more in common with the Lancaster than, say, the Typhoon and the Spitfire? Yep. Defo, you know, it's multi-engine, it's, it's a big old beast. Um, I imagine there's so many similarities, you know, monitoring the crew, but just flying the thing, you know, it's it's just different. I'm out of privilege of flying the Lank, you know, my pretty much my last trip, and it, it was wonderful to fly it, but it's, you know, it, she's big, she's heavy. She's the opposite of a fighter, and uh, those boys possess a skill set that, uh, that we don't have, and, you know, Dunk basically could never fly with a crew. He, he'd upset them all <laughs> within about a minute. <laughs> Do you know? I went. Yeah, that, I went that, to Valley a, this week. I'm sorry to add to a little rabbit hole here. So I walked into Valley. I, I, I landed. I went into uh, into Four Squadron Ops, and the uh, the Ops clerk there went, "All right, Skull Crusher. He's a fan <laughs> of the podcast." Excellent. So, uh, <laughs> What's his name? We'll give him a shout out. Yeah, that is an excellent call. Yeah. So. Oh, uh, Mason, you're going to have to come back with that. Yeah. 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 Hey, no, that, that's a really interesting point, JB, about the has it more in common because uh, I've flown a Herc maybe two or three months ago. Um, we were going up to a uh, – there was something going on at Cranwell and a, a Hercules um, – there was a trip going in there and we managed to get on it. And I was sat down the back of this Herc and you could see the control runs and the the wires – going to the tailplane and the uh, and the ailerons and so on and and you know the mechanical connections which is exactly the same as the lancaster has got whereas you've got that mechanical connection in a spitfire but a typhoon is flown by computers these days so uh, you're absolutely right and the crew ethos that they use in a hercules with uh they didn't have the co-pilots in the uh, in the second world war but the uh the, the co-pilot that they've got now the uh, um uh, you know, all the rest of the guys down the back is it's almost exactly the same. So Parky, for once, is 100 percent correct. They are much closer. I hadn't thought about that before. Excellent. <clears throat> um, now, do, I, do any of you guys know anything about the history of the crew? Um, what they would do, um, what, what, what they were doing before that and then what and then what they did afterwards? Well, I know just uh, 
personal experience of having, having chatted to Johnny Johnson. He was uh, he was a guy who joined the war, and I think uh, joined the the RAF in about forty forty one. Um, was selected for pilot training initially, and I think went out to the USA. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it, it didn't make the grade in terms of pilot training, so went to be a, a, an air gunner, and ended up. Uh, uh, he completed 18 sorties I think it was uh, as part of a crew on a different squadron um, and was on this uh, this guy's crew uh, I think it was Joe was it Joe McCarthy that's right um, yeah. the, the, the American guy um, was on his crew and it was that crew that then got selected um, to be part of 617 where uh, he was a, a bomb aimer on it and and then talking to him so for the uh, at that 70th actually that Dunk was talking about um both myself and Dunk were lucky enough to fly Spitfires into the ceremony that they were doing. And the, the Lancaster then taxied up and there was uh, um, relatives of Barnes, Wallace and the last remaining Dambusters. Uh, who was it? Les Monroe. And there was um, another guy there at the time. But at the dining in night, they stood up and basically told some dits about the night, which were just amazing. Yeah, no, it was and- Les Monroe and it was Johnny Johnson. Was there? Uh, there was one more. I'm sure there no, was. No, no, no. He's uh, he's over in Canada. So no, there's just the two of them that were there. Yeah. Okay. And um, Mary Stokes Rowe was there, who is Barnes Wallace's daughter, I think. Yeah, and she she's up at Coningsby today, wasn't she? Yeah. But because um, Johnny tells a story, doesn't he, about the guys in his crew getting really hacked off with him because they were bombing which dam was it was it the Sorpa dam or Sorpa, uh... yeah so that that was his claim to fame wasn't it they were the only ones to to drop on the Sorpa because they used a couple of extra bombs didn't they on on the Mona and Ada and it, it ended up there was only one one lack left and that was Johnny's and he had them going around about eight times because he wasn't happy with the uh with the drop because it was different what? on the Sorpa to the uh to the other yep. two uh, dams and the uh, the guys you know with all that triple a the flat coming at them the guys were just getting really cross with him and he was just being pedantic no it's not right i'm not going to drop the weapon um, i think it was his 10th time that he went was round. it, ten? Was it yeah. 10 yeah and they, they didn't the they didn't actually uh, drop it you know how the other guys dropped it and it bounced because no, they, they, they it was it. dropped um they went um at along 90 the degrees wall, yeah along, along the, the uh, along the down. Down. perpendicular to it yeah they didn't spin it up and then they just dropped it and it was just so tight to get in. I think it was one day we were literally clipping a church spire and just desperate to get down. And you're right, he, he wouldldn't allow the boys to drop it until it was perfect. Well, I, it was about sorry, let me understand that again. So the the image I have in my mind of this bomb is it's spinning along along the water, hits a dam, it rolls backwards on itself, doesn't it? it goes down the bottom, explodes, job done. They didn't do that. Not on the sorper. So because. It basically, I, I don't think that one was long enough for them to get down into the, you know, over the water and drop it. There wasn't enough time. So they didn't spin it and they just used it kind of, you know, had a depth charge in it, didn't it? And as it dropped down, it would then explode at the right time. Oh, yeah. So their, their skill was to drop it so close to the, the wall, if you can imagine, of the dam just inside the water. And that's why it took about the 10th effort before Johnny finally let the boys drop it and they could go home. Now, and, I, and then it, then he he tells a story about the 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 flight out because the flight in was hairy enough because it was they were doing it under moonlight which for those of us who've flown low level on night vision goggles I mean that's hard enough let alone doing it without any night vision devices flying a, a sixty foot and less uh, uh, navigating across the uh, the North Sea over to Holland and then in 
on when everyone knew they were there suddenly on the uh, on the way back. I think Johnny mentioned at that time, Duncan, you might have heard it a couple of times to put me right, but, you know, he had this story about uh, the rear gunner, I think it was, when they went over some uh, a rail yard who said, flipping neck, I was so close there, I could have changed the points myself, you know, and that sort of thing <laughs> where there's they're being shot at, they're at 60 feet or less over um, occupied territory, having blown up a dam, and there's still a bit of banter over the uh, over the radio, the internal radio. Amazing. It yeah. was the so it was the ham marshalling yard that they came across a really heavily defended area on the way back. But the other astounding thing that they on the way back is they they flew back over the Mona, so they saw the <clears> breach, <throat> yeah. you know. So coming back from the Sorper, imagine that. Imagine the view. So they're at low level, and boom, they come over the Mona Dam to see it breached. And he says it's like an inland sea. He's, it must have just been the most extraordinary sight. You know, when you yeah. you, you talk about people that, that, that a very few people will have, you know, will have seen that. To have seen that from the air just after it's happened, well, a crew of seven. And maybe not all of them. I guess all of them will have seen it in some way. But um, no one else will have seen that sight ever. I mean... It's a, it's amazing to think about. Yeah, no, no so, there was some way to make it. One mate, one mate got his uh, his bomb ripped off on the sea, just flying over, just a bit low, so he had to turn back. You know, a couple of boys shot down. One guy went into pylons on the way there. Oh my word! Yeah, yeah it, was, it was brutal, JB. That is the most shocking thing I've heard. His bomb got ripped off by the sea. Yes, I mean yeah. they were, we are Sparky talking. might have made a bit of an understatement there. He was a bit low. <laughs> it ripped his bomb off on the. So he was at, <laughs> not a foot. Yeah, <laughs> he was at surface. I... I mean, I mean, genuinely, I bet the boys would have been flying around at sort of you know ten, twenty feet. I mean, it, it sounds extraordinary, JB, but the the upkeep, the bomb dangled below what they were used to. So they probably would. I guess you know, correct me if I'm wrong. They probably hadn't flown with the bombs. Ever, you know, until that that time they'd practiced yeah, you're it. Probably but right. you're suddenly probably... they've got these massive heavy bombs, you know, that were like huge uh, drums almost that were dangling below. And, you know, that was probably another few, I don't know, 10 foot lower than they were maybe expecting. But yeah, one, one mate, his, his bomb, you know, touched the sea and obviously then just got ripped off with the drag and uh, he turned, turned back home. Christ. I mean, I guess that was relatively lucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Depending yeah. on which way you look at it. So. Tell me more about the aircraft. You just said that they had the, that they had the big bombs dangling down. What other modifications did they make? Well, they, they had no mid upper. So what's a mid upper? So the, the mid upper gun turret. Um, and again, it's extraordinary how quickly they managed to modify these Lancasters to you know that they they were different. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, but I think the the normal crew of seven they didn't have a mid upper, but in a normal lank the bomb aimer would double up as the nose gunner that's right because they needed a nose gunner and a bomb aimer because obviously the nose gunner was machine gunning the you know the dams you know the the uh the uh, armaments and the the boys on the uh on the dam so we had a nose gunner no mid upper so you know they look quite different they they obviously took the bomb doors off so that they could mob the aircraft with these these bouncing bombs you know these massive drums but you know how heavy they were dunk they were they were quite big weren't they yeah, they were big, but I can't remember how many, you know, exactly how heavy they were. Yeah, like, maybe 5,000 pounds, something like that. But, you know, just massive weight of, uh, of bomb there. So uh, there you go. Yeah, they were, they were special lengths as well. 
Yeah, you're right about that, Parky. Um, Seb Davey, who's the current Lancaster pilot on the on the flight, tweeted this awesome picture earlier. It's a um, it's the original um, crew manifests for all of the 19 uh, Lancasters, and it's got as as you go across for each Lancaster, you've got captain, uh, flight engineer, navigator, um, wireless operator, um, bomb aimer, front gunner, and rear gunner. So yeah, there's no upper mid uh, gunner. When they invented this mission, did they do it fully aware that so few men would come back? I think they knew it was going to be high risk, you know, low level in Lancaster's just just the act of getting there and back is is a risky business. Then, you know, how well defended the dams were going to be. I'm sure they were under no illusion. And that's just, you know, what makes these boys so brave. All of them, you know, the, the losses, they just accepted them and they just went and did it. But there's no way they could have not been aware of just how scary a business they were about to do that night. Uh, they they the weren't is, told, so, were they, until quite late on exactly well, what they exactly. were up to. I think it was, I think, it, I don't think it was quite the night, but it was only days before. But there was, um, so it, it might be a good time. I, uh, there's, a, a, again, a sort of a, a bit of a sidebar is that um, I went and did some interviews with some veterans when I was on BBMF. And uh, there was a veteran <clears throat> and... Um, I'd got in touch with him. I didn't know what he flew, uh, but I just knew that he was a veteran, a Lancaster veteran of of sorts. And uh, he was moving house and one thing or another. And I thought, oh, well, that might not happen. But anyway, he he rang up and said, I've moved house now if you want to come and interview me. So I said, OK. So uh, uh, me and uh, one of the other chaps went uh, went down to, to go and interview him in Bristol. So we drove down there. We got to his place. He said, do you want a cup of tea? Love a cup of tea. And uh, as he was making a cup of tea, it was just looking around his lounge and there was all these pictures of um, Lancasters bombing the Sorper Dam. And uh, I was like, um, Johnny, what squadron were you on, mate? He said, uh, 617, old boy. <laughs> oh, right. You on the dam's raid? He went, yes, yes, I was, yes. And so anyway, we had this incredible um, uh, interview. It was myself and Benno, who was one of the safety equipment guys at, uh, at BBMF. Um, and, and we recorded this interview. And, uh, and, I'm actually I'm going to release it as a as a part of RAF 100, uh, release it as a separate podcast, um, and I think that's going to be on the uh, on the RAF 100 website. So um, look out for that. It's got it's about an hour interview with Johnny where he talks all the way through from uh, when he joined the Air Force. He talks about as God has said when he went over to the states for his pilot training, um, and then came back and and joined up as uh, as a as a a bomb aimer so it really is you know from the horse's mouth all of the details and a lot of the details that you know we we can talk about it just because we've spoken to guys uh previously but um he gives a, a huge amount of detail so it's uh it's well worth sort of when that comes out i'm hoping it'll come out either today or tomorrow um but but go to the raf 100 website and have a listen to that wow the, uh yes the- do you remember, Dunk, when Les Monroe was talking about um, dining in night? And JB, you mentioned about the training, but one of the things that stays with me, he said uh, he was flying along in his Lancaster, they were on a training sortie, and he looked down into a dike in Lincolnshire, and he could see these two wings either side of this dike, and there was a Lancaster, at literally not foot six, in a dike with its wingtips just over the edge of it, flying down it. And 
none of, none of us were expecting him to say this, but he said, so I flew an attack on him and we there in his Kiwi accent. And then we ended up dogfighting <laughs> and just had this vision of, at low level of these two Lancasters doing a bit of Harry Doggers. And, uh, <laughs> And then until they got bored and went home and you think, oh, my goodness. Again, th- uh, these guys must have been masters of their machines in terms of flying them around, because well, what's the wingspan on a Lancaster? 100, 100, 106 foot. Yeah. So when you but they, they, they would get them down in these, uh, you know, essentially fairly straight canals. But they do, do you remember when Les Monroe said he goes, he described it as bloody dangerous. Yeah. But he said they would they knew where the wires were. And they would just fly under the wires yeah. in no. the dike at night. Yeah. It, it's just ridiculous what those boys got up to. They, they, I mean, I'm guessing that these boys must have been pretty young when, when they were doing this. Yeah, tw- you know, young, early yeah, 20. I, know. I, I just well, can't imagine like a 42-year-old do, do, doing it. No, the, the you oh know, no, my back would have gone before the uh, after the briefing. <laughs> yeah, I can't clear my ears. <laughs> Incredible stuff. Now, just so you know, uh, whilst you've been talking, I've been doing something rather useful. Um, I just googled the Barnes Wallace bomb, so I can answer you a, a couple of questions. So the weight of it was nine thousand pounds. Wow! So quite big. Um, and this is an interesting one. Do you know how many were built? Fifteen. No, well, it must be more than that. With 19 aircraft when they're on the... Uh... <laughs> yeah, four of them went without. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I mean, they should have thought of that. Yeah, <laughs> throwing leaflets. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe it's uh, 21. Right, interesting. So the actual answer is 120. But what I find interesting about that is 62 of them are listed as inert. So I wonder if, if they were practising with them quite... Quite frequently, um, yeah, they did. They did. They, they yeah. went and practiced with them over. Was it called Reculver? Is it Reculver down off the uh, just um, uh, off the north coast of uh, of East Anglia? Yeah, yeah. So that, that, that's yeah, so where they, they went and um, and practiced. And they did quite a lot of practices down there. And it, if you watch the Dambusters film, there's the footage of, of them doing that practice, uh, and they they drop the the bombs to to bounce up towards the beach and you see them you know practicing one of them when they hadn't got it right bounces up and takes I... one of the aircraft out and yeah. uh you know there's a, so the, yeah they, they will have dropped an awful lot of practice bombs and to start with they didn't work they had to try and get the height right the spin right there were so many technical aspects to it that um that yeah they'll have dropped an awful lot in um in the, the, in the inert ones were the practice ones weren't they well, I mean, yeah, I think so, yeah. That, how many live ones were there, JB? There were 58 live ones. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, it, yeah, it sounds like a lot, but what was it, like three each? Three three practices each? And then maybe you get a live bomb on something? Yeah, but I don't know. Did the, I don't know. Did the crews practice? Did they go and have a practice? I'm not sure. Not with I, a live one. I, I, I don't have... think they did. Oh, so are we saying that the crews didn't practice, but obviously someone... Was practicing with bombs. Yeah, just like not a the test and evaluation unit was practicing with the bombs. Oh, I see. The, the guys, the guys didn't. Well, I mean, maybe they did. I, I genuinely don't know the answer to that question. But then they trained themselves over Derby, you know, going going after dams, but just not with the bombs. Obviously. Yeah, so they were training sort of to drop the bombs. So they came up with um, 
with you know ways of making sure they had to be at exactly 60 feet and so uh, they came up with uh, well a really simple solution in that they they um they rigged two lights two spotlights to the aircraft um that were um canted in towards each other and they overlapped at exactly 60 feet that's so clever when they were at 60 feet so that's so they just made these two sort of spotlights line up and they knew they were exactly 60 feet uh and also the the way that they aimed um to you know to know when they were at the at the right distance to release the bomb um they had a uh, again a, a really simple it was like a catapult it looked like but with two pegs on it and they just lined the pegs up they knew the distance of the uh, the ramparts on the dam they lined those up and so they held this sort of catapult uh machine at sort of arm's length and when the two pegs lined up that was when they released the bomb so it's really heath robinson uh, way of uh, way of getting the bomb off at the right uh, at the right point. Right. Yeah. Didn't right didn't the catapult thing sort of go up against their eye? So it was at a set distance, I think. And then it yeah, was had a spacer. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. That, that's phenomenal. That I mean, that's really quite. It, it's breathtakingly simple, actually. Yeah, I don't think, JB, they could have practised uh, with live bombs on Ladybag because the council would have got upset <laughs> if they blew the dam up. Oh, oh there would have been some, some health and safety issues. I have no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you not seen the movie? Uh, you know, the old, when was it, 1956, 1953 movie, JB? I've got to say I haven't. Um, I, I was told that Stephen Fry was doing a, a new one, but that never materialised, or did it? Yeah, you're correct. It it it, it was um, who was the director of Lord of the Rings? Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, you know the guy I mean, and he um, had put the he... script together. Uh, Stephen Fry was involved in it because he came and spoke at a Dambusters dinner at when I was going through staff college at um, at Shrivenham, mm. and was really excited about that fact. But you're right; it seemed to sort of die death um, around the sort of 2009 2010. Yeah. Um, but they are tomorrow. I'm off to the Royal Albert Hall. They've re- digitally they remastered the film again. I live in that place. <laughs> they've, they've digitally remastered the the film, and Dan Snow is Dunk's mate is introducing it, <laughs> and uh, they're, they're doing a, a sort of um, an hour chat, kind of like we've just done about the history of it, the workout, and and the actual raid itself. And then the second half is they're going to play the film, and that's being repeated in a in a whole bunch of cinemas around the country as well. Is so, it? I know you don't get time off, JB, but there might be a cinema near you that's playing the uh, the Dams film tomorrow night. If if it's if it's on at Oldham Cinema, I will go. But nothing's on at Oldham's um, at Oldham <laughs> Cinema, so I won't worry about it too much. Um, now, I I don't know if you know the answer to this. It's just something I thought of. What came first? Did they design the bomb for the mission or the mission for the bomb? Well, I think it was Barnes. So Barnes Wallace was the was the brainchild. Uh, you know, he was the, the the brains behind it. He was the guy that came up with this idea of how they were going to attack it. So I think, um, you know, he had this idea of how they would then effectively attack German industry uh, by 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 flooding um, by flooding it. You know, flooding all of that industry down the uh, down the Ruhr, wasn't it? Yeah, down, down the Ruhr. valley. Yeah. So, um, selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And with that idea, he thought, right, how can we do that? And then again, you know, when you go and see the uh, the film tomorrow night, you'll see. They start with, um, with, with uh, practicing but with a massive great big water tank and a big elastic band with a catapult. And is it ball bearings? But anyway, he literally, a bit like skimming a stone. So he then sort of skims these things so it hits the end and comes down. So I, th- I, you know, I think the answer is that uh, Barnes-Wallace came up with the idea for the weapon um, to attack the dams in that manner, and then it was developed from there. Right, Japs, well... All three of you got, have got one thing in common, and no, it's not that you've flown heroic missions in Lancasters, but you have flown in Lancasters. So, one of you start off with just telling, telling me what this machine's like to fly in, and when did you fly it? Well, I, you know, for, for me, the first time uh, I flew in it uh, was pretty early on when I joined BBMF. My hurricane went uh, US, so I got airborne. Um, and a whole bunch of coolant was coming out of it. So I landed it again. Um, and the Lancaster was still on the ground. So they said, right, shut down, go and get in the Lancaster. So I, I clambered in and, and climbed <laughs> to the front of the Lancaster. And that was my first go now, in the Lancaster. Now, in the Lancaster, right, because you've got obviously that nose. How do you sit in there? Do you lie down there? Is, is, yeah, right, is there a no chair? Seat. So they, and because, of course, they were, I, I, I was literally, they were engines running. And they said, come on, get in. You have to get underneath the co-pilot really? so he sort of he puts his legs up he's got this sort of fold down seat what? with a rudder with a with some this sort of rudder bar thing that comes across so you have to fold that out the way you clamber underneath and i remember specifically you know it's it's a good question jb because i got down there there's just like a green leather pad there's nothing else no. and i sort of looked around and went well how do you strap in and they went you don't strap in just lie there and shut up <laughs> So, uh, you you know, there is a strap there, 
But it's a bit like tying a bit of string around your leg. You know, it's completely useless. So the just... Mason missile would have fired out the front of that on any landing incident <laughs> through the nose cone. So just yeah. to be completely clear, right? You scrabble underneath the legs of a pilot or co-pilot where you're met by basically a green leather mattress and you just lie down there. That's you lie you do. down, yeah. There is something that you know. It's as if so. Imagine if you're if you're if you're lying down and you have an aeroplane seatbelt that sort of goes over the top of you. It's effectively, you know, it, it's. I, I don't think it would help very much unless you know <laughs> it, it, to to stop you hitting the roof. But you know, the thing is about the inside of the Lancaster JB yeah. that it, it's we kind of call it the TARDIS because it looks huge from the outside. But you get in the door on the right hand side at the back and immediately you have to duck your head and straight away you have to step up over where the Bombay is. And it's actually quite small. And there's quite I a think few... that's a reverse TARDIS, Dunk. Yes, I was yeah, going to say. But, right, uh, yeah. It is a reverse TARDIS. Yeah, good point, Parky. So Thanks, you're not actually on the guns, are you? That, that is, is, is that the bomber site? Is that what you're referring to before? What, yeah, the that's, the, that's the bomb aimers position. But, you know, bomb you can... You can if the uh, if the front gunner is there or somebody's in his position, his feet are literally dangling on your back, and uh, wow. you know it, you, you can jump into all the uh, you know the mid upper or the tail, and you know the tail is a bizarre. I guess we've all had trips in that, but you know sort of sitting backwards at, at two hundred miles an hour watching the world go past, it's 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 fabulous. But you know you're a long way back there, and you know it, it's definitely cold and lonely. I can see you know it must have been. A, a very strange position to fly in, I think, as uh, as, as the uh, the tail gunner down the back end there. Yeah, yeah the, 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 the space thing. on it is the thing, that, or not the, the lack of space on it is the first thing that hits you. And how many obstacles are in the way? Because you think it's a big hollow, it's going to look like a big hollow tube. So on the order to bail out when you've lost a wing, been hit by AAA, whatever, it, it'd be quite easy to rush to the door and uh, and try and do it. it. I do not know how they did it. It looked like a a sort of episode of that, um, I, I don't know what the uh, the ITV program is, where people are jumping over all of those mats and obstacles and stuff. But um, because the wing spar is in the way. So there's this huge, great lump which it, you know, restricts you to a crawl as soon as you get in and turn right. The, body, the, the rear gunner is down on the left, cocooned in his little, you know, there's a door on the back of his little turret that moves. And uh, as the boys say, then it's all cramped up the front. Dunk, did the... That fold-down um, co-pilot position that we use now, was that there in the Second World War? Is that a, a recent no. addition? No. No, so it was it just a single pilot. Single pilot, pilot yeah, single pilot. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And I think the the engineer who kind of would stand beside him was often taught to essentially fly it, you know, if... Yeah. It's very basically, wasn't it? And there's the stories yeah. of that. You know, the pilot, you know, got incapacitated or killed and engineers flew it back. I Maybe with a plan, was it to, to bail out dunk? But if you if they could even have a plucky go at landing the thing. Yeah, and they did. Some of them yeah. got it back, you know, amazingly, yeah. with very badly wounded pilots. Um, and there's all sorts of stories about the pilots sort of just, you know, wounded and, and lying on the floor behind, but trying to sort of give directions and, you know, these guys getting these aeroplanes back with the uh, with the flight engineer flying the aeroplane. Right. Astounding stuff. Right, so as a man that's, that's never flown either in a Lancaster or in, in anything like that, what, do, what does the engineer do? There's lots of instruments that he needs to look at. Um, because of the four engines on there, there's an awful lot going on. Yeah. Um, fuel systems, that sort of thing. So 
you know, someone, I mean, actually, airliners flew with flight engineers up until the, the, the 90s, I think, you know, the end of the 90s before they came sort of two pilot and fly by wire airplanes. And it is just managing the systems on board when there's so much going on. So, um, so you've got seven members, seven members of the crew. You've got an engineer, a pilot. Um, who else have you got? Well, you've got the bomb aimer. Yep. And then he would double up generally as the nose gunner, apart from the dams raid. A wireless operator, and then there was a mid-upper gunner and a tail gunner. Wow. Wow. And, and here's a quick question. Now, you guys have spoke to a, a lot of veterans. Um, the gunners, were they particularly effective? Yeah, yeah, they could be. Yeah, absolutely. I always just think of it as a very strange place to be, because you've only got, like, uh, you know, guns which, um, well, particularly if you're, if you're up against, like, I don't know, a measure smith or something, it just seems like um, a, a bit of a tough ask for them. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, 303s. I think some had 50 cals, but the uh, the BBF lags, you know, turning down the back, for example, has got four 303s. But I remember chatting to Dave Fellows, who's sadly passed away, but just an awesome mate. And, you know, his, his stories, he had a mid-air collision and pretty much, you know, a few days later, he was on a raid after the, he's, they managed to get this Lancaster back to Manston got back to uh, uh, Lincolnshire, flew another raid, and he, he was just describing at night he would never fly with any perspex or anything in the tail gun because he said it would just it would uh, just spoil the vision. And he was just looking, <laughs> and he just saw either the glint of an exhaust or something or other, and he realised that there was a, a Junkers 88 was just coming up underneath them. And he absolutely then just he said he, he sort of he said he should have told the pilot to immediately break. And they used to go into a sort of spiral maneuver, uh, an evasive maneuver. But he didn't. He just trained his guns on this Junkers 88 and at point blank range fired. And he took the Junkers 88 out and he got a wow. kill. And it's in his log book. So, you know, they, they were effective. I mean, was, that Parker, was that one of those modified 88s where they had that vertically firing weapon probably um, was because yeah exactly that it, they, they would get underneath wouldn't they and they were yeah they were so the night fighters yeah the night yeah. fighters jb they, they'd find them and then you know rather than fire beforehand they'd fly underneath and fire upwards when they were directly underneath the um uh, underneath the airplane to take it out like that bloody hell wow it was called <laughs> schlager music i think wasn't that's it, it? Schlager that's music. it. Oh, it was great it and they music. could yeah, they could hear it sometimes, you know, the you know, almost on the intercom when the radar was getting close. Uh, do you remember, I think you were there, Dan, when Tony Iverson was telling us about, you know, just, just what it was like being, you know, doing a raid. And you know, I remember one fact he came out with, one of the night fighter boys, you know, in this with the upward firing cannons. He just got within the Lancasters and in 20 minutes he shot down eight Lancasters. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my word. Yeah. What, it, it, it gives you an idea of exactly how dangerous this whole thing was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah and, and they could just and, sneak up unseen. That's it. Yeah, most of the time the US, so the 8th Air Force, 8th Air Force were doing it during the day um, in their flying fortresses towards the back end of the war and the, uh, and the Royal Air Force were doing it at, at night. Well, that's sort, um, that's sort of why I asked because I, I always thought the Royal Air Force moved to the night because the flying fortress was it flying the B seventeen flying fort, flying fortress, um, you know they they were bristling with guns and they, you know they they all suffered very heavy losses during the day. They did, they did, and you know you're right. The cover of night was some protection, but as, you know Tony Iverson said, if you if you were essentially caught 
you know, in the searchlight or the night fighter picked you. It, it, that was it. You know, he again, one of the, the comments he, I remember him saying was it was, uh, it was it was very weird. They would they, they'd all have a big briefing, uh, you know, sort of in the evening. And they they'd uh, it, it was kind of almost theatrical. They would be in a in a massive sort of hall and then there would be a curtain and they'd also stand to attention as the wing commander came in the curtain would go back and behind it there was a map and from their base in you know wherever it was in lincolnshire there was a line and then it would be the target of that night so it would be berlin or dusseldorf or whatever you know whatever the target and you know there would be an audible sort of as 150 mates went oh god you know it's berlin tonight or, or whatever it was and then the, the tension would kind of mount they'd have a meal they would be driven to their Lancasters at dusk. And he said it was really weird. All of the lorries that they were driven on had a kind of green lamp and it made it really eerie. It just was quite unsettling, bizarrely. And they said once they got the Lancasters fired up, the kind of the nerves just, you know, it's just we're just going to do it, boys. Let's just get this out of the way. And, uh, you know, that it would almost be reassuring as this Lancaster fired up. They would all, you know, at times, you know, we launched a thousand bombers at night, which is just ridiculous. The amount of, of aircraft flying, that is ridiculous. they would sort of form up, head out east. And, the, you know, the final thing that Tony said, he, they'd just be flying along and it would be like, boys, I think there's night fighters around. And he said he can just remember next to him, maybe like half a mile away. And, you know, in silhouette, you can see there's probably, you know, 50 odd Lancasters that you're, you're all flying out with. And one of them would just explode beside you and he and suddenly it was like daylight it was so bright and vivid and there's there's seven boys dead you know and it's like boys be alert night fighters but you know just what a ridiculously frightening episode that must be that they had to do you know a couple of nights later off they go again different target it was um on my i had two flights in a lancaster it was the second one we were um, doing a poppy drop over the opening of the Bomber Command Memorial, which for anyone listening is absolutely worth going to see um, in uh, um, Hyde Park Corner. And uh, so there was, you know, there was a few of us in the aeroplane. There was this uh, dear old fella, Ron Clark, Flight Lieutenant Ron Clark, DFC, I think. Um, yeah. And he uh, he was along. We brought a doctor along so he could go flying. And 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 this old fella, he uh, died a couple of years ago, unfortunately. But he this was his first flight to Lancaster since he'd flown a Lancaster over London in the, uh, I think it was the VE day parade fly past. Um, so an amazing day. And we've got all these poppies inside the Bombay, you know, close to a million poppies. And one thing I will remember for the rest of my life is uh, the navigator, a guy called Russ Russell, Rusty, um, was doing the radio call. So inside the Lancaster, you're all on the on the radios. I was in the, in that, in fact, in that same bomb aimer position that, that Dunk was the previous time. And uh, he called up air traffic on the ground frequency and said, uh, you know, Coningsby, uh, Memorial One, taxi, I think we had 11 people on board, so 11 POB. But then he added and 55,573 souls on board. And we all went, mm. you know, we all had to bloody take a knee at that point. And, you know, you kind of welled up a bit thinking about and the whole crew, not a single word was said then until the guys started bantering through their, their takeoff checks and everything that they had to. But then to actually be on the drop as well, where you know, I'm lying in the nose of this Lancaster and we can't normally you come in through London in a particular way. But this time we didn't. We came in uh, because of where the uh, the memorial was 
um, essentially down the river. So you're seeing uh, the Canary Wharf go past um, Tower Bridge, you know, all of these landmarks only a thousand foot below you. Um, and then we go up to Hyde Park Corner and I, I sort of, you know, you crane your neck, have a look behind. It was mainly through the photos and videos that I saw. But it was something in the region of six, seven hundred thousand poppies then bloomed out the back on this boiling hot day. I don't know, Dunk, were you on the ground that day down there or anything? No, I wasn't. Unfortunately, we couldn't get down there. I mean, t- tickets were so much at a premium that we couldn't uh, we couldn't get there. But um, but I, I was on the ground back at Coningsby when we saw them. Um, when we saw them taxi back in, and I, I, and I, I genuinely, it's just one of the most incredible things because Ron was in the co-pilot seat and he was leaning out of the window. You were there with me, Parky, weren't you? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so he was leaning out of the co-pilot seat as this as the Lancaster was taxiing back in, and I kid you not, I mean he must have been ninety-two something like that at the time. Um, I kid you not, he looked not a day over twenty-five. It, it was. It was almost ghostly. He, he was wearing his same jacket, wasn't he, Doug? Wearing his jacket, you know, and there he was, you know, leaning out the, the Lancaster, you know, waving um, as if he was 25 years old. And he, he, he looked, it looked like it had knocked, you know, 70 years off in Parky, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, in, in the aeroplane as well, when... Um, uh, I was trying to remember the captain's name. I'll think of him in a minute. But, you know, put him in the co-pilot seat and said, right, you have control. And there he is at 92, 93 years old, just flying around this Lancaster over uh, over Lincolnshire again. He was. You could see that was it. Uh, was that Ron Clark, you mean? Yeah. So Ron was the guy. But I was trying to think who the. Um, who, was it Stu Reed? No, it wasn't Stu. Um, who the land captain was. But uh, an amazing day to be part of. And all, and and we escaped jail as well because the uh, JB the, the, there was a, a history in the in the Lancaster of, of not poppy drops going wrong, but you had to do it right. So the um, <laughs> you know all the poppies had been hand loaded into the Bombay, and had been um, someone had put uh, uh, compressed air in there as well to make sure that they, there was no moisture in there. They didn't clump up because it was just essentially the. Um, you know the paper ring of the poppy that you buy in November. Um, it was just those, um, so just those bits of paper. And when we got back, there were a couple of phone calls from the people on the ground, and um, these poppy bombs had been going off all over the place because, you know, the slit is just the way they're made in the side of the poppy. You know, you often see there's the slit. Well, some of these had got caught together, so you know, almost looked like IKEA lamps. These big lumps of poppy had been fired out of this uh, Bombay of this Lancaster doing 180 knots over London at a thousand feet. And we were quite lucky that Her Majesty didn't get hit by one, which we were all very <laughs> pleased about. Luckily, the boys missed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> once. Yeah, I, I... I mean, just the loading of the poppies, I mean, you say, yeah, they were loaded into the Bombay, but the engineers had to chicken wire the Bombay up completely, so had to completely seal. Because you imagine doing 180 knot, 180 or 200 mile an hour wind going through all the cracks and bits and pieces in the Bombay. You know, the, the, these um, million poppies had to be, you know, sealed in there somehow. So they had to chicken wire all of the Bombay to make sure that they didn't escape. It, it was a huge endeavour to get get it ready to go and do a drop like that. We'll uh, we'll stick on the the pilot episodes um, 
Twitter feed actually a, a couple of the pictures of that one. And then the, the first one that I that the first time the the only other time I'd flown in the Lancaster, I was really lucky. It was in the uh, royal wedding for uh, Duke of Cambridge, uh-huh. and that was the most amazing thing because again I'm lying in the uh, my favourite lying down position in the, and I had someone had left a um, a Union Jack cushion in there as well. So I'm on this Union Jack cushion looking out the window. So technically, I'm the very first person over the top of the uh, the married couple as we head over the top of Buckingham Palace. But the most amazing thing to me was you you generally hang a right as soon as you come off of Buckingham Palace because you've got Heathrow airspace right in front of you. And so we actually went round the corner and there was Hyde Park was just below us. And you have never seen so many people in your life. There was tons of people up the mall. And on the right-hand side over Hyde Park, hundreds of thousands of people. And I kid you not, even above the noise of the four Merlins, you could hear the crowd, you know, a massive cheer as we went over the top. It was just flipping amazing. I bet. Um, uh, Is anyone flying over the wedding this this weekend? I don't know, actually. I don't know either. I would, I'm going to say I would imagine, but uh, I've got no idea. I would imagine so. I think it's God as in a prefect. (laughs) <laughs> now that's the that that's the real deal. I tell you what, they're going to be impressed. <laughs> um, Ten feet in one minute. Now, there's been a lot of very impressive feats achieved in a Lancaster. However, do we, are you boys familiar with the name? And I'm going to say this wrong. Nicholas Alkermade. Mm. No, I don't think I am. No. Right. Okay. So. Let me get this right. Flight Sergeant Nicholas Stephen Alchemy, 10th, 10th of December 1922 to 22nd of June 1987, was a rear gunner in the Royal Air Force uh, Avro Lancaster heavy bomber during World War II. Here we go. <laughs> Who survived without a parachute a fall of 18,000 feet when abandoning oh. his out-of-control his burning aircraft over Germany? I had heard of him, definitely. I didn't know that that was his name. He, I was he landed in the trees, didn't he? And he, he lived. So I always thought... So, so uh, I've learnt my lesson about speaking out of turn on this podcast. So I thought I'd look it up before saying something. Um, I always thought he landed in snow, deep snow. But, I think that might have been someone else. I think some. I mean, he's, he's not the only person to have survived. I mean, bizarrely, but I think I, I think there was a stewardess who fell out of an aeroplane. Yeah, um, yeah. More more recently, uh, no, bloody hell, know, forty years. Well, at, well, actually, lads, um, careless. If, if on Wikipedia, the very helpful also see Eva uh, Ivan Ch- Chesov, I think it is, a, so- a Soviet Air Force lieutenant who uh, who survived falling from an aircraft. Uh, Alan McGee. Fell twenty two thousand foot. Um, RF Lancaster blown out. There's another one. Um, there's a German fella and there's a Serbian fighter um, and Ser- Serbian. Uh, sorry, Serbian flight attendants. There you go. Thirty three thousand feet. Oh, flipping heck! That part a little bit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I wonder what they're thinking. Well, I'm amazed. Bored. So they're falling for so long. Wish I'd brought a book. Do you I know wish what? I had a coat. I'm. I actually think. <laughs> I, I always assume that you die before you hit the ground, just of a heart attack. There's no way you're going to be calm. Well, I don't know. I, I, I try, guess I try and get into some. Like, e- and then it's like, <laughs> how long? Try and get a long way down. How long? Does it, <laughs> how long does it take to descend thirty-three thousand feet? Do you reckon? 
Oh, blimey. Oh, what's terminal velocity? Um, well, here we go. Call it, call it uh, was it 100 knots or so? No, more than that. No, a bit more than that, isn't it? 140 or something like that. 240. So call it two miles a minute, 33,000 feet, um, five miles. Uh, so two minutes. Exactly. You could read a chapter in that time. <laughs> <laughs> I put myself in an aerofoil position and fashion some one of those little flying squirrel wingsuit wings and try and flare at the last minute and then run really fast. Very small. Very, very small. Uh, wow. That's... We're all going to laugh if I do fall out of an aeroplane and survive. Uh, <laughs> well, it'll be certainly funnier if uh, f- funnier than if you don't survive, Godders. I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, I'll try and tweet something on the way down, tell you what I'm feeling. Exactly. Uh, okay, so let's leave it with this. Why don't you tell me what, in your opinion, made the Lancaster such a great aircraft? Oh, that's a good, good question. question. I think it's the legend that's grown up around it, really. You know, from uh, Because I was going to ask that question earlier. You know, why was it a Lancaster that, that was chosen for this particular raid when there were Manchester's, Wellington's, Lincoln's? I mean, just loads of different bombers that were were mass reduced in the second world war but wasn't manchester yeah. a version of the lancaster yeah two engine i thought it was a but it was under power wasn't it i i, I my was it the only one that could carry it then you know yeah, i think it's it's the lancaster had an outrageously good payload and performance and yes you know compared to the halifax i think it was very good the sterling was you know, was was all right, but the Lank could just fly higher, couldn't it? You know, it was it was just a better performing aircraft. I think it flew pretty well. Yep. It was well armed. It was, uh, you know, it, it took a lot of damage. You know, and don't mention about you know boys coming back on two engines and it kept flying. And you know, you put all of those things together, and it was just an awesome war fighting bit of machinery. I think the fact is that all of the boys, you know, no matter what they flew, um, when they were going through training, they they would hope that they were going to get sent to Lancaster's because of all those reasons Parky's just said. I mean, um, and it became legendary, I think, because um, it handled well. And for the, you know, we've all flown it a little bit. And okay, um, you know, it's not a fighter. But at the same time, um, watching the the multi-engine guys who are used to handling those big aeroplanes, they fly them, you know, really aggressively. And okay, it's it's kind of heavy but actually you know once it get you get it rolling it rolls really well you have to lead with rudder uh, so you lead with the rudder to start it rolling and then put the aileron in and off she goes and they they really throw them round and you know i guess um a testament to that is the dams raid where they put them you know they flew them aggressively down to 60 feet at night uh, around some some pretty um some pretty nasty terrain so uh, the the aeroplane was so versatile, so powerful, could do so much. I mean, it was a real, um, it, you know, it was a winner, a war winner. Um, and uh, and I think that's why the legend grew up about, around it. Excellent, boys. Excellent. Well, we'll leave it there. Uh, you know what? I'm going to say that was our best podcast yet. Very much enjoyed that. So if you enjoyed it and... Uh, you want to leave us a review or help us out a bit, go and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Alternatively, you can go and follow us on Twitter. Um, Godders, what's, what's the Twitter again? At Pilot Episodes. We have got a couple of questions if you want to. Oh, yes. Let's do that. Let's let's do that and then we'll go. 
So we've got um, a good mate of ours, actually, boys, Ted Higgins, dear old Ted, um, looking after the cars uh, down yeah. south. In fact, Parky, go and see him. You're down south uh, th- this week. Um, but he said, uh, besides once drinking a pub out of Spitfire, I do remember that. Well done, everyone. Uh, to each of you, what did you ever think was uh, that was a job well done, couldn't have gone any better? A mission, flight or instruction, and it must be broadcastable, Parky. <laughs> uh, I'm just real quick. Last, my uh, last uh, Westminster fly past, I was leading and it was just one of those days. Don't you remember that? But just it was miserable. The weather was going to clear. It was going to be lovely over London, but it was just smeggy and drizzly and misty over. And it cleared enough and we had to reroute and find our way around and uh, and we nailed it. And it was just a, a lovely feeling because you feel a bit of stress for the London fly pass and it, and it went well. And uh, that was great. Well, I thought uh, so I had it, mine was a, a, a Windsor fly pass, actually, for the uh, the Queen's Diamond Jubilee. Um, and. I was leading a diamond nine of typhoons and it could not have gone any better. We absolutely nailed it on time in the right place. But as it turned out, Eddie Butler was commentating on BBC one. And (laughs) so we got out the airplanes and thought exactly what Ted had said. That could not have gone any better. That whole thing ran on rails. The formation was good. The timing was good. The positioning was good. Um, And the army had finished their, marching up and down inside the uh, the keep at uh, at Windsor Castle in front of Her Majesty um, a minute and a half early. So on the television, there's a minute and a half gap. And the chief of the air staff at the time does a little nod to his watch to have a look at it. And Eddie Butler, in his sing-song Welsh voice, says, and the Duke of Edinburgh, a Navy man looking on as the Royal Air Force holds up proceedings. And so about, I think it was a TV audience of 5 million people thought I was late. And then one of the BBMF ground crew was in the 5,000, there were 5,000 troops up on the long walk, the big um, walk that leads into uh, Windsor Castle. And they'd all been briefed that we were flying up the walk. And I got a text from him afterwards that said, what happened? You missed because we'd been told to fly the other side of the keep so uh, the Queen could see us. So 5 million people thought uh, I was late, and a minimum of 5,000 people thought I'd missed. So from what couldn't have gone any better, um, most people thought didn't actually go very well at all. Another reason it was it... exactly 11 o'clock, and we were in the right place. So then... Honest, Gov. Honest that Gov. That has definitely haunted Godders, hasn't it? <laughs> another reason to, another reason no, because to dislike Eddie Butler, eh? Don't you dare mention that. I knew where I was. I was on time. Ask anyone. You can ask anyone in that formation. Ask my mum. Uh, well, for no, me, again, you know, there's, uh, there, there, there's, um, there, there's some great stuff that you just think, wow, that was that was fantastic. But uh, I think 2015, leading a, a sick ship of, uh, of fighters um, over Westminster Abbey with the veterans uh, below there, we did two passes. Um, I, I think that for me uh, must be, you know, looking down, uh, you can you look left and right and. Uh, See two fighters either side. I think, Parky, were you? Um, where were you? Were you on the? Uh... I was outside. Outside right. Outside right, and outside I right. can just remember seeing Big Ben flash by, and, and oh, it was brilliant, Doug. Utterly yeah. brilliant. I, I was on the ground. I was at the ceremony that year. Um, he, frankly, you missed. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the ground. It looked brilliant. Parky was out of formation though. 
<laughs> Look, he's got all bitter about him being late in the typhoons. He's trying to drag <laughs> everyone else in. Uh, his, uh, so there you go, Ted. That was us. Um, uh, maybe one or, or two more. One of them is, uh, <laughs> this is from The Sound of Spitfire. Uh, tell us on the control column is this uh, in the Spitfire? Is the fire button still there? Do the sights still work? And have you ever pressed it and said dagger, dagger, dagger? <laughs> well, yeah, the button is still there for sure. Uh, on the BBMF aeroplanes, we don't have the sights in. Parker will undoubtedly uh, tell you some of the ones I think that uh, he's flown with the sight in. But I think I can definitely say for all three of us that we've all pressed the button and gone dagger, dagger, dagger at some point. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> quite a lot in yeah <laughs> and it was i thank you flown td314 but it's got a it's got a pucker gun sight and the what first market, thing what market spitfire is that is that nine nine yeah and and it's just just brilliant the first thing is flick this gun sight on it's just like out of the movie the battle of britain and the uh does it the, work uh, you, yeah yeah so you can uh you can adjust there's two little uh rotating knobs and you can twiddle them and either you put in the wingspan of the uh, the hindquarter that you'd be shooting down or the range and either of them make the uh, you know the bars widen or, or narrow and it is yeah i defy anybody to fly that aircraft not switch that on and go dagger 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 flipping <laughs> brilliant all right last question then um which is relevant to the evening actually but uh, have you had this is from uh bren uh, at bren fly big bird have you had pilots who are perfectly good on modern jets or turboprops but were unable to make the transition into the bbmf fleet due to different skills or training involved i'm happy on my a380 hence the uh, the handle i guess but ah. it'd take quite some work to feel comfy on lancastrian or york cheers bren uh, just before you answer um bren if you ever want to take me on on an a380 you just need to get in touch uh, uh with the podcast <laughs> i will accept your invitation at any time <laughs> so there you go Bren so uh, in payment for answering the question uh, I don't you were the boss of the flight uh, you know you saw lots of guys going through training um, what do you reckon uh, yeah well some people did uh, you know almost uh, did have difficulties with it uh, oh lay off me dunk <laughs> and uh, you know it, uh, it it is a definitely a different skill set um, I think to be honest uh, I was pretty lucky during my time that uh, uh, I had uh, a bunch of guys that you give them enough training and the right training and they, they all came good. But I know certainly um, other people um, have had to um, say, look, I'm afraid it's not working out and, uh, and, and send people their separate ways. So yeah, it is, it's a very different skill set. Um, it, it, it takes a bit of getting used to, and not everyone can can get it in. I, I think the thing is, is the time that you have to to give to it as well. We haven't got all the hours in the world. It's a pretty steep learning curve. So um, yeah, some people don't quite crack it. If I can wrestle an A three eighty pilot into the studio at one point or get him down the line, I would love to do that because I'm obsessed with that aircraft. Hey, well, JB, just I was talking to, uh, so we talk about shout outs uh, earlier. So uh, shout outs, I'm sorry, I, I had brain failure earlier, but shout out to Daz at Valley for uh, for skull crushing me as I came in uh, on Monday. Uh, but also Dutch Holland. So Dutch um, is, I th- do you know, I think he flies A380. It's a great big plane anyway. And uh, we're going to try and uh, do a podcast from the A380 simulator. Ooh. So I spoke to him about that. We're not quite sure what the date of that is, but it's something to look forward to. That really so, is. Uh, 
certainly JB. Hopefully, we can uh, we can sort out that wish somehow. Yes, that sounds like a tremendous idea. Right? Okay, you're all right. All Let's... JB wants is a freebie. Yeah, that's it. Oh yeah. Well, what you realise about <laughs> podcasts eventually is you know it is a, it is just a vehicle for freebies. So uh, on that bombshell, finally. Uh, thank you for listening uh, to Pilot Episodes yet again. Please leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. That'd be great. And, of course, follow us on uh, on Twitter, where you can leave all your questions, so on and so forth. And I'm sure one of these days we'll set up a Facebook page, but, you know, we'll we'll work it out, right? We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> there was a freak silence. Everyone In was thinking, end. well, Parky freak can't even silence. work out a Skype address, can he? <laughs> Frankly. So it's not going to be Parky that does it. Goddard has only just got his headset in. And oh, frankly, and you're yeah. the, well, what's you're, Facebook? Exactly. <laughs> well, you're the one with the snowball microphone now, so I think it should be oh. you. You're the you're the you're the professional. I'm splashed out. Yeah. Not, I haven't got a guard like you though, JB. No, no, that's just like you know, spit yeah, on it spit a lot. guard. And, and also, I'm quite shy, and we're doing um, and we're doing the video as well, so I like just a, a bit a bit distance. I see. I guess yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Right, boys, until next week or the week after, or even the week after that, I'll speak to you then. Cheers, babe. Cheers, boys. Bye. Cheers, bye. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.